Welcome back to RinkWise, everyone. We are New England's premier hockey podcast produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. We're back again. My partner in crime, Evan Miranovsky, joining us in studio. Welcome back. I am happy to be here, Stephanie. It it's been feels like it's been a while since we've done one of these, but it's only been like a month, maybe month and a half. Well, the off season, it's it kind of meshes. You just kind of lose track of time. I, me, anyways. I just sometimes like I'm like I can't believe it's already coming up to the fourth of July. Well, so. you lose track of the days. That's the fun of the summer. Is you just you you almost like your Mondays and Tuesdays better in the summer than right. the end of your week because it's yeah, you know it's different. earlier in the summer and things like that. But it's been busy. I imagine you've been crazy busy with hockey and it's training and those things a different busy yeah as as someone told me years ago really with when you get into this it's it's sort of three different seasons throughout the year and one is obviously during the winter the hockey season and two the spring which is for us probably generally the slowest which is nice kind of digress and take a little break and then in the summer it's just it's the off season which is as we've discussed numerous times I think throughout our shows here and podcasts it's it's also just a great time to train get better work on things so that's kind of what's going on right now and showcases of course which we've talked about yeah it, it this is kind of the time that you improve your skills as we've talked about on previous podcasts working on your skating working on your skill this is the time to do it the summer months are good times also a good time to go on vacation if you can do it oh, so yeah. it doesn't yeah. hurt to do that I was just in the cape for a week but where I just was was Buffalo. I was up in Buffalo for the boys' select 17s. It was great hockey, a lot of hockey. <laughs> Every day, all day, 8.30 to like 8.45 at night, just straight through hockey. And I think the cool part is, the cool thing about select 17s on the boys' side is it's sort of HL Scouts' first look at who's going to be on the draft radar next year for the 2024 NHL draft. And obviously we'll get to the 2023 draft in a second, but really interesting stuff. The New England district actually won the whole thing. So they have a New England district and then the Massachusetts has their own district. Massachusetts, I believe, finished in like third or fourth, but New England finished first. So they were really impressive. There's a story coming on that or by the time this is up on, and you're listening to this, the story's already up. And Mass was solid too, but New England really stood out to me. The New England district... Colin Sisson and Nico Tornas. I mean, some of those guys had really strong showings. And I think those two actually were like ranked second in points in the whole thing. So, I mean, again, it helps for the region to have guys who are putting on national prominence. And uh, they, they, they certainly did in Buffalo. And it was definitely, the, Stephanie, I'll say this, it was definitely the most exciting thing happening in that part of Buffalo because outside <laughs> of that, there was not a heck of a lot going on. That is true, yeah. Oh, I'd yeah. never been. And right. It's a common place, though, for a lot of hockey. It is. It's it? the USA Hockey Same Development thing. Side. Yeah, and it's it, it just... Like, I don't know what I expected. I expected to be more closer to downtown Buffalo, which was, I just didn't look at the map. And we were just kind of in, like, suburbia. We were in, like, every, any town USA. And it was fine, but it was, like, I was looking for, like, restaurants that were indigenous to that area. And it was just, like, a lot of chains. And I'm like, ah, this, is, this doesn't feel right. If I'm in a new place, I want to try something that's like them and I'll be honest I don't like buffalo sauce <laughs> so that kind of kind of takes me out of the, it's okay. the range you're from on that. New England you can say that it's it's exactly some, it's funny someone actually I was at a I was having dinner and someone someone said oh you must be from Boston that, that accent and I was like accent like I, I, I 
I've never thought I had a Boston accent, but according to Western New Yorkers, I guess I do. Well, so. you're probably one of the least people that have a Boston that's what accent. I, that's, that's what I've that's said, but they're like, you're from Boston. I was like, I, I don't have an accent, but <laughs> fun times. So, yeah, that's, and it is, you're right, like a lot of big hockey events actually do happen there. I, I, yeah. I know even on the girls' side, and I think maybe it's... A, they consider it sort of like a central location or maybe easier for, for all different parts of the country to go to. But but that was going to be kind of my, my next question to you. So talking about just off-seasons and stuff, so to fill us in and the audience, what have you been up to? I know a lot of coverage, a lot of festival coverage, camp coverage and stuff. Excellent coverage. Thank you. By the way. And so just fill us in. What have you been up to in the off season? Well, it's been a lot busier than I initially thought it would be, which is great, which is what you want. I remember when that my season ended, I was like, oh, geez, I hope we have enough for the, the spring and the summer. It's been more than enough. Too much, really. Too, a lot, it was a lot, right? Especially yeah. right now, like we get the NHL draft. Right. And then we want to get these. We have the, the stories from Buffalo that are coming up. And there's more select camps. There's girls select camps as well. But so, yeah, I was just in Buffalo, did that. Again, really good hockey, exciting. I was more impressed, I think, by the New England district than the Massachusetts district. But, you know, again, it's a, it's a certain amount of time, and some kids show up to play and some kids don't. Right. We also had the Mass Festival, the Final 40 on the boys' side a few weeks ago, which was which was good. That was up at Lovell Arena. And it, it with that team, like, the, and it's the same with, with the Select 17s, there are some snubs. Like, I was, I was, so the, thing got released on Wednesday, June 28th of the kids going to the Holinka Gretzky camp. So normally they do, you do the, they pick the Holinka Gretzky team at select 17s, but this year they're doing it. They picked the roster for the camp, which is July 20th to the 24th in Plymouth, Michigan. And so that's, there were some snubs and we're kind of kind of, we want to get into that a little bit because, mm, yeah. and not just for that, but for other things, kids get snubbed this time of year. Who shouldn't, or maybe who deserve to? Like I, a name that comes to mind from T, from Massachusetts, Cole Pouliot Porter from Zavarian had an outstanding. Oh, yeah. We talked about him a lot this year. We did, and he yeah. had an outstanding time in Buffalo at Select Seventeen. He did not make the Helenka Gretzky Cup roster. Actually, what's funny is to bring it back to MIA. Last year, Dina from Reading had a kind of opened some eyes at at this, and I was curious how the MIA kids would do up against the best kids of their age group in the country, and they more than proved their worth, but neither made it. And there, there were others that, that should have or had cases that didn't. And that's this time of year. You see it all the time, Stephanie. You've been on both sides of it. And I think it's, we kind of want to get into the adversity element because summer's a fun time, but it's also a time when you're not going to make some teams you want to make, and you have to kind of deal with that. And I think these kids are dealing with it on a big stage, but a lot of other players, girls and boys, are dealing with it at smaller levels as well, teams they didn't make. Indeed, yeah, and you're right. So with, I think, a lot of selections, a lot of, again, national camps, festivals, that sort of thing going on, and it probably really is a good time to also discuss that side of it because – and it's tough. Sometimes I know I've looked at things and you've seen some players. I'm well versed on the girls' side, just players that, that make events or camps and some don't. And it's tough. I, it's, it's sometimes there's very little that separates players and it's no different sometimes I think when you're selecting a, a team, right, for maybe a select program. And I think a good thing for Mass and maybe New England, I've said this for a while, Evan, I, I do think that's we have a lot of really good players in this area. And 
I think that's fortunate or unfortunate because too many good players, not enough spots at some of these yeah. uh, camps and, and selections. So, so again, it's tough. Sometimes you could be a great player as you've just highlighted, but might be on the outside looking in. What's funny is the other interesting thing about my time at the Select 17s in Buffalo that was incredibly interesting is it is no longer Michigan, Minnesota, New England being dominant. The Pacific was the arguably the best team mm, there. Yeah, that's um, a great point. They were There was a kid, Trevor Connolly, who's a Providence yeah. College commit, who was far and away the best overall player at the event. I mean, just was a step above. And he'll probably be a first-round pick next year in the NHL draft. And again, Providence commit. He's from California. Like, there were... There was a wide range of good players from other parts of the country that normally you wouldn't go, oh, that's not a hockey hotbed. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I think that's right. a really good thing. You right. should want that. I agree. You don't want it saturated in Minnesota, Massachusetts, Maine, Michigan. You don't want that. So that was incredibly interesting. But again, it makes it tougher for if California's got a bunch of good kids and Florida has good kids and these other parts of the country that have good kids... When you're making a Holinka Gretzky team or you're putting it together, you're going to have less from Minnesota and Massachusetts and Michigan, and that's fine, but it's tough because there are a lot of good players in this area, as you said, who get snubbed from that team, whereas maybe 20 years ago, you're not getting the kids from California or Florida or Montana or wherever. You're just getting the kids from the hockey hotbeds. So again, there's more competition. And again, I think it's a good thing. That's a really good thing that, that the U.S. and that kids can kind of that the sport can offer it where you have all those kids and it's the same on the girls side. I saw a stat recently since I know this isn't New England, but since the Vegas Golden Knights came into existence, youth hockey went up in the metropolitan, the, the, the Vegas area or in Nevada, 340%, which makes sense. I yeah, mean, yeah. like an NHL team it's comes to town. Huge increase. Yeah. And, and I can't imagine there were a ton playing hockey there before right. the Vegas Golden Knights came to town. But again, like hockey is growing. You see in the NHL with the all-star game was in Florida. The Stanley Cup was in Florida, Vegas, the drafts in Nashville. Like you're growing the game. I think it's a good thing, but it means more competition for our players at events like the Select 17s. And you'll see it at the 15s and the 16s. And you'll see it on the girls' side too. So yeah. it's yeah. such more adversity for these kids to face. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it, it is great. Maybe it, it's going to be more competition for New England-based players. But, I mean, overall you want the game, you want the hockey umbrella you under USA hockey to get better and to increase. And I think I couldn't agree more. I think we're seeing hockey popping up in different parts of the country that didn't used to be there. And just the other day, a good friend of mine from, from college, he reached out, he was offered a hockey director job. And I think Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> Oklahoma, so, there you go. So just, again, just different parts. They're going to yeah. be the 35th NHL franchise. <laughs> they could, they could be, they definitely could be. But, and before we get into the athletes and diversity, so NHL draft. Yes. Super exciting. So Will yeah. Smith. Yep. Will Smith, fourth overall to, to San Jose. So we're recording this before the second through seventh rounds have been done. Right. We can probably hit on that at a later date. And there'll be obviously coverage on the website of all of it. Lots of coverage. Maybe so much coverage you're like, wow, this is too much. Will Smith, fourth to San Jose. Ryan Leonard went eighth to Washington. I think... So Adam Fantilli, I think everyone thought Adam Fantilli was going to go second to Anaheim. They end up taking Leo Carlson. I think that actually had a negative, quote-unquote, negative impact on Will Smith. And I think that if they took Fantilli at two, I know Columbus was very high on Will Smith. So my guess is, 
they probably would have went Will Smith at three, but doesn't matter. I think it's really cool that Will Smith is taken by San Jose because Mike Greer, the GM there, is a St. Sebastian's alum, and nice. Will Smith is a St. Sebastian's alum. So, and I think Greer used to coach against him when he was with the Junior Terriers and Smith was on the Junior Eagles. So lots of New England tie-ins. Small world. Very small world. Yeah. I was a little hopeful that Will Smith would fall to number five and be taken by Montreal because Kent Hughes, he was his coach. So that would have been really cool. But yeah. good. I think it says a lot about this area that Will Smith, local kid, played Junior Eagles, went to Sebs for a year, goes to the NTDP. I mean, I think wherever Will Smith grew up, I think he was going to be an elite star player the way he is same right. with ryan leonard yep. ryan leonard's cool too because he has the miaa tie-ins from pope francis so i mean two kids who grew up in this area different parts ryan leonard western mass will smith eastern mass i'm a little disappointed that w- uh, ryan leonard didn't commit to umass amherst mm-hmm. where i would have loved him to commit but grew up there and and had a great opportunity at bc they'll both be at bc this fall so i mean again i think it says a lot that you have these two kids in the top 10. Again, it's not going to happen every year. This Last year, that I, th- I think New England didn't have a first-round pick. 2021 was Beneers. So, I mean, again, these are two kids that not only are they first-round picks, Stephanie, but this was a draft. This was one of the best drafts at the time since maybe 2015. Like, this is a very highly regarded draft. There was no moves inside the first round in this draft at all. So, again, I mean, I they're elite talent. These are guys that are going right. to be kind of leaned on to not turn these franchises around, but they're going to be pillars. They're going to be guys that they have. I mean, San Jose is going to build around Will Smith. Washington's going to build around Ryan Leonard in the future. And I don't know if you saw Stephanie, but they, ESPN had Will Smith rap uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on live TV. The poor <laughs> I kid, did not. I got to see that, though. Poor kid That's just it. gets drafted, probably nervous as anything, <laughs> right. on stage in front of millions oh uh, watching at home. And then he comes to sit with Emily Kaplan, and she's like, you're big into Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Why don't you rap some of it? And he's like, really? And she's like, you do it. And, and makes him do it on the spot. Credit to him, though. He did it. That was the wild part. Like, he actually, like, nailed it. Yeah. Imagine if you forgot all the words. Yeah. Right? Like, like you're, it's such in the moment. So I imagine that was just, like, I think he probably woke up on Thursday morning and was like, what just happened? Like, I've, <laughs> that, did that really happen? That's amazing. I got to look that up. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, he didn't do the whole song. He did the, the main verse. But, I mean, again, both of them, Smith and Leonard, really impressive. And credit to them. And also Matthew Wood was taken in the first round. UConn guy. Impressive this year as well. I think he was taken 15th to Nashville. So, again, a great night for New England in the first round. I I don't want to preview the second through seventh because it's going to be out by the time that you're listening. But, yeah, I mean, the first round, hard hard to be mad at that. Well, and it's great, as you said, it's players that are sort of born and raised New England yep. had follow, have followed the hockey paths in New England. And yeah. I think wonderful for just so many young players to look up and see that. It is. And that's the big thing, I think, with them is that you can still p- make a path to the NHL in New England. I'm not saying you ever couldn't, but like you look at like Cole Eiserman, for example. Cole Eiserman went to Shat. Is from is from Newburyport. He's on the cover of our January, February magazine. He's nasty. He will be a first-round pick. I mean, he'll be like a top three pick Mm -hmm, next year. mm -hmm. Uh, Lights it up goal scoring for the NTDP. He went to Shattuck St. Mary's before going to the NTDP. So, like, he kind of left this area, and then he's going to Minnesota. So he's a New Englander. But the path from New England, his main development years, a lot of those took place in Minnesota, which is fine. But the fact that Will Smith did his thing here. Ryan Leonard did his thing here before going to the NTDP, before committing to BC, says a lot. 
And it's good for the, obviously the Junior Eagles must be happy. Mm -hmm. Pope Francis and Brian Foley, they must be pumped because again, it shows that you can do it here. You Granted, they both went to the NTDP because they were that good, but you know, whether or not they went to the NTDP, they, these are two elite, elite prospects with different skill sets. And I think it's good for the, it's good for the region. Now, Stephanie, is every kid going to be a first round pick in the NHL draft? No, they won't. But I think it's a good thing. It's a good sign for development. It, it, it certainly is. Yes. And I think, again, not a, there's not a one size or one path fits all, right? There are multiple avenues to get to where you want to be and find success. And so, Evan, using this, I think, as a platform to shift our conversation. Pardon me, guys. Can you hear this? I mean, I love the song, too. Can he sing it for us? Right now on camera? Why not? CSPN, oh. let's go. <laughs> In West Philadelphia, born and raised, where the playground is where I spent most of my days, chilling out, relaxing, relaxing all cool, shooting some b-ball outside of school. That's incredible. It might be more impressive than your playing school, but I know you are an impressive <laughs> player, so. Incredible. I mean, that's, like, to do that on live TV. On the spot. After getting drafted, I imagine he was very nervous i would guess like just from the whole it's a big thing where are you getting picked it's your future and then be like can you do this real quick like online because the, the like i think i saw some people on twitter being like that was staged and i'm thinking to myself like oh, no, no it's not yeah he he was like no like seconds. that is so far from staged right. because i you see on if you're watching the draft you see how fast they get Connor bedard over and then they get the gm of that team and then it's the next draft pick and they don't I, my guess is emily kaplan was not going up to will smith before being like can't, can't, we're gonna do this yeah right. i'm guessing that because right. he was he looked shocked he's not an actor he's a kid like he looked shocked on camera so right. i saw people being like oh yeah this is it's like that was not staged at all i don't think and it was a cool moment some people were making fun of it but i thought it was cool i, I did think it was cool it's have fun with it as 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 she said, you're on ESPN. Why yeah. not? Yeah, it's a dream. It's it's Absolutely. the best night of his life up yeah. to this point. The other thing is every draft pick got their own song to walk up to. What would your song be? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a, that's a great scene. Now even, I'm putting you on the spot. I know. And, and, like, I have to stop and think. Like, I can't just. My, I, mine. Maybe I, Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck would be good walking yeah, up to that's, that. That's, like, original. Like that, that is. I'd be, like, Levels by Avicii. I do that. So it'd be cool. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that's very much. That's something that a 24 year old. Okay, so back to our athletes and again, the selections and, yes. and things like that. So we do want to talk a little bit, and, and Evan, because this has come up. It's mm -hmm. come up. So in, in sort of my line of work, and I think it's a great discussion as well. Like, so as you said, not everybody is going to be a first round draft pick. Of course, of course. Correct. Not. And Some parents might disagree with that, <laughs> but. It's, it is what it is. It is what it is. But I think, so how to deal with adversity as athletes? And I think the first question is this generation athletes, are they dealing with adversity in sports better or worse? It's funny. I'm close. I'm near this generation. I'm kind of in this generation still, I think. How do you do fellow kids type <laughs> thing? Like I'm still one of you. Right. I, from what I see, and you deal with it more than I do because you coach kids and you, you 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 mainly you coach them and you do skills with them and all those things so you're seeing it more what i've seen though is i think it's dealt with differently and you could argue that it's worse it's easy for older people at the next generation to be like they're screwed like they can't do <laughs> what are they doing but i think when you look at and other guests have talked about this 
kids jumping from situation to situation to situation because they're not getting the playing time they want. It's hard to find kids nowadays who stay in one place and work their way up from whether it be JV to the fourth line to the second line to the first line or you, you're a freshman, you make the varsity, but you're not really playing much and then you move up to, oh, you're a you're going to be like a thir- second or third pairing defenseman and then, oh, you're going to be a first pairing and then, oh, you're going to be a captain and a power play specialist, things like that. You don't see that much anymore. Like on the prep side, there are kids that will go from team to team to team because mm. they think it's a better situation. They think it's their parents are pulling them. Sometimes it is the, the, the moms and dads who are like, oh, we need to get you here. We need to get you here. And I think you, I think a lot of that comes from the adversity element. Now, if you're someone that, you know, is in a situation and then says, you know what? I did two years here. I want to try going to a prep school. Right. Then that yep. makes sense. Yep. But I think when you see kids go from, academy one year to another academy to a prep school to another prep school i think from the coaches i've talked to at the college level it's a red flag when kids go Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. with all these different teams and you probably see it as a red flag as well i would think right or maybe not a red flag but it's it it raises some eyebrows yeah it's concerning that's the right word questionable questionable concerning yeah prompts prompts questions for sure and again there's there's all different reasons to make changes. Yes. And some are non-hockey. Some are better academics, smaller class size, right. things like that. And that is fine. That's completely fine. Right. And I think we've just had such wonderful guests on the shows and each have provided, I think, different perspectives oh, yeah. on, on some of these topics. And the pros and the cons, pros being there's there's a lot of really way more great options these days. And... But, you know, on the on the flip side, I think to your point, you know, the right and wrong reasons to potentially make so many changes. Right. Yes. And it's like overthinking it. Yeah. And Evan, I, I do, I guess, giving my opinion, I, I do think that the adversity side of sports and simply just letting the process kind of happen. Like, I do think that that's sort of a natural or it was at one point a natural, normal part of your journey and I'm not sure that that's being embraced as much as it once used to be. And I think just for example, all of our, if you look at all of our guests, really super successful guests that we've had on the show. Oh, and yeah. Bo- Bobby J was one of them that really stands <laughs> out today. Bobby J was great. <laughs> just great guy, just in general. But just, I mean, his, his story. Do, by the way, don't you love when people who've played a little NHL, which is incredible, like Carl Corzini or Bobby J, and they try to downplay it. It's like, dude, you're in the NHL. Like, wear it. Like, it, it's most more than anyone else can say. A- absolutely, and it, I think it just it also coincides with the sort of the humble nature sometimes yes. of, of really elite we, level. We, athletes. we would also be like it's really annoying if they continuously say they were in the NHL. So it's like it, it's a double edged sword. There. It's it's remarkable, and as we said to him, it's it's you're you're part of essentially one percent of yeah maybe of even less that 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 get there. But his story was really kind of remarkable because here here he was he did make the NHL he played in the NHL, but he didn't play on his varsity high school team until he was a junior. Yeah. Which is just incredible. R- remarkable, right? But it's just like the any any major success story has had adversity somewhere along the way. And mm-hmm. one could argue that that failure or adversity has been a big factor in getting to their success. Some of the athletes that I, I loved watching growing up, like Michael Jordan. Yep. And Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan was one of the best that that said it. He has failed actually way more in his career and in his his journey, but that has helped him basically be the best 
right? I mean, really, you think of some of the best ever names in sports, certainly the NBA. I mean, Michael Jordan is at the top of the list. I was going to say, because everyone watched that Last Dance documentary when COVID was happening, when COVID first hit on ESPN. And, like, that was the whole thing of, like, he failed and failed and failed. But I also think it kind of hits it, like, and I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm 100 years old, because I'm a part of this. I am in it, and I deal with this as well. It's the instant gratification. It's wanting something now. Right. And I think what's tough is for players and families nowadays, you see it, it is so public when a kid succeeds, mm -hmm. whether it be at the high school level, or MIAA, whether it's prep, whether it's juniors, USHL, NAHL, NTDP, whatever it is. It is so public that kid, you, people compare. You compare paths. Everyone compares. Parents who are listening who are investment bankers or business people or carpenters, you compare yourself to others. And I think it hits with hockey, and it's very public now, what kids are doing and where they're committing. Right. And I think there are – the one thing I've noticed, I was talking to a coach about this in Buffalo, and he was saying how – it's so tough in recruiting because it's easy to find the kids at 14 and 15 who are the best. Right. And your top schools like your BUs and your the, BCs the are going to... The top of the pyramid, yes, if you will. They, it's and easy then the, lower, the, the bottom of the pyramid is also easy to yes. spot. It's, it's it, it, like, the in-between. That's exactly it. And it's those kids in the, in the middle who, you know, around 16, 17, start to find themselves mm. and they grow and they kind of fill in and they get better. It's the same on the girls' side. Right. And yeah. those are the, it's a lot of the late bloomers that have the most success. And I think that's a tough thing for parents to figure out because when, I think parents, when they come in, when it's their first child and it's their 13, 14, 15, it's almost like, oh my God, I'm open to this huge world. My kid's really good. I want to make sure I do all the right things. I just don't know what to do. And they try to do everything. You see it all the time, I would imagine. Oh, big time. Yeah. And I think if you just let it play out, let them grow, let things kind of happen the way they do, things work out. Good, th good things take time. And I think a lot of these quote unquote late bloomer players who don't really hit their stride until they're maybe juniors or seniors in, in high school, like... It's not over that. Like you're still, you're going to be on the radar of places. And so I think it, it, I think it's tough for kids and families now to have that faith that's going to happen. And there's, cause no, you don't know the future. Well, and it's ab absolutely, Evan, could not agree more. And again, as, as we've sort of have discussed on, on this show in past, there, there's more pressure. I think that families feel these days. And I think this this show, this podcast today, we're meant to be very motivational. And put the your, motivational music in the background. To, Get us to your going. point. Yeah. Get some Rocky going. <laughs> but it's it's absolutely like if you don't make that festival this year, your career is far from over, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And it's a couple tips. Get get some feedback. And and actually, I'll backtrack for a second because I again talk to families a lot. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you agree or not with the decision, right? So, and you'll drive yourself crazy if you sit there and compare your player to five other players. Yeah, it doesn't right? work. That, that made it, it just, and maybe you're right, maybe you're not, but, it, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't right? do anything. Because you weren't making the selections and the selections have already been done and they're made and it's over, right? That's it. And so again, I think, no point wasting time staying stuck, right, where you are. Look to move forward, right? And throughout my career, 
there's plenty of teams I did not make, right? Just yeah. just like I could say there's there's obviously plenty of teams that I did, right? And I know it's lousy, right? Like it, it hurts, right? Maybe you'll cry, you'll be upset. But it's it's how you respond, I think, from that is is the most important. Like the saying in hockey, doesn't matter how many times you fall down, right? Gotta it's, get up. You gotta get up and, and how you can respond and get back up on your feet and I remember when I was a, and this is going back in my career, when I was in like fourth grade, I was a squirt and I made the squirt B's and all my friends, my best friends made, all of them made the A team. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough, right? It's tough. And I remember just thinking at the time and you're at that age where kids make funny, like, oh, Evan didn't make the team, this and that. And you're dealing with it. And I remember being so crushed. I remember my dad being like, you have an opportunity to to get yourself better. You're going to be the best kid on this team. You know, you're going to, you real chance to develop. You'll make new friends, all this stuff. And that team really set the tone for the rest of my career because I was able to gain confidence playing against kids that maybe weren't as good as the A team. And I, and that set the tone for literally the rest of my career. And it also motivated me a lot because I was like, I never want to feel this way again. And that was at like fourth grade. Yeah. Now I didn't go on to play in the NHL, obviously, but that, set the tone for not just my hockey career but for my life like yes, hey yeah, this is motivation yeah. for my life, life like lessons, hey right? exactly like sometimes when you don't get something good things happen mm. because of it and i think that was a prime example and you see it all the time kids don't get into the college they want to get into and they end up at a different one and they love it right same, same with hockey I, I wanted to go to bc and i'm at uconn or wherever. i'm at, i wanted to go to uconn and I'm at bc whatever it is I'm trying to give equal play there. I don't want anyone thinking I think one's better than the other. <laughs> Northeastern. Yeah, Northeastern. Yeah, well, okay. I can't forget Northeastern. But that's the thing is that and they ended up loving where they where they end up playing. So you see it at all levels, but it goes back to you have to turn the adversity into motivation. And I think that's the most important thing is and don't run from the situation either. I think a lot of times and you see this, Stephanie, probably a lot, you run kids people run from situations that they're uncomfortable in. Embrace the uncomfortable. That's how you. That's how you're going to build character. And ultimately, the players I see that make it the farthest and do the best have high character. And adversity breeds that. And it is a normal part of the process. Yes. It is. I, I couldn't. You know, couldn't agree more. Embrace it. It's. It's part of the process. And I know when I flip to the coaching switch, when we fail at something, right, as a team right? Or as an individual, whatever, like there's always things that you can control. If you didn't put the effort or you had a bad attitude, those are things that are in our control, right? And we need to fix that. Yeah. But you're going to fail, right? We failed plenty of times on the ice, coaching career, but those are also some of your best learning tools. And I could think of, I give you some examples, right? If I've been in a really close game and I think as you go through from a play a playing career to a coaching journey, you're learning a lot as you go. And Evan, there's plenty of times if I could hit the rewind or I would go back to a game and I would have done something differently. Mm -hmm. Right. But I but I failed and I, I had takeaways from that. And you're right, like it's lousy, it, it hurts at the time. But if you didn't if you haven't learned from failure, then failure's a waste. Yes. Right. But but if you really use it to fuel you, like it can be one of probably your best learning opportunities that you're ever going to experience. Yeah. And if I equate this to a player right on the ice, let's say they make a really bad 
mistake. Oh, yeah. Right? On the ice. Really bad turnover, bad something like turnover, that. Turnover, bad decision. Yep. Right? Like, let's say they just throw the puck up the middle, bad decision with the puck, and it results in, let's say, a game-winning goal, right, mm-hmm. for the other team. That's going to be lousy, right? And it's going to hurt, but I think sometimes you only have to do that once, right, to learn from that and guarantee that player, right, if you sort of educate them, walk through it properly, like, they're never going to make that mistake again. No, and, and I even look at, like, and this isn't doesn't apply to players or teams in an NHL example, the Bruins in 2009-2010 had a really good young core. Bergeron was young, and uh, they had Krejci young, they had Tim Thomas, they know Chara was relatively young at the time. They were really kind of budding, and... They, in the second round, they were up 3-0 on the Flyers and blew it against them. Lost, not only lost the series in seven games, but they also, game seven, were up 3-0 and lost that lead. Oh, boy. And everyone in the offseason said, fire the coach, (laughs) trade everybody, blow it up, rebuild. Of course. And to their credit, they didn't do any of that. They made, like, one minor trade, and they just were mad about that. Mm -hmm. And they used that motivation the entire year, and they won the Stanley Cup the next year. Incredible. And now, again, that doesn't happen all the time. But you see, if you look at a lot of champions in in any sport, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, whatever it is, you can almost always go back like – if you go back like five years and look inward, there's typically a time when that team faced a huge – huge failure like you look at the Bruins this year right like it would surprise like if they go on to win the cup either next year or future years you'll look back to 2023 and say well that was that was the moment like they they learned from that so I think it's the same with players like a lot of players have a lot of adversity growing up you can look at almost any player it's Mm -hmm. very rare you some of the NTDP kids don't I remember when I was covering, when I was at UMass and I covered them and I was talking to Greg Carvel, head coach there, and, and some of the others, they and, and, and some of the assistants, they would always say, like, we want players that have not been handed everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That have not always been the best. They can fight through things. Yes, like Bobby Trevino is a great example to me. Like, Bobby Trevino, UMass star, now plays for the Hartford Wolfpack, signed with the Rangers, this and that. Outstanding player. He was so undersized growing up. Nobody else was recruiting him. High comp- He just had so much compete, but there were lots of teams and things he didn't make. There was lots of adversity he faced and he went on to have an incredibly successful college career and is really embarking on probably a good pro career. And he was not handed everything. He was, and I'm not saying NTDP kids are handed everything because they're not, they are absolutely not. But whether, even if you don't make the NTDP, even if you don't make the, the, the final 40 of the festival, mm-hmm. um, you're fine. You're fine. Use it as motivation and and translate it to to success. Yeah, and I think a tip that I would suggest there, too, is also get some feedback. Yeah. So don't be afraid to the right approach, but talk to the coaches, talk to the directors. Try to get some feedback, right? And if they are really, they care a lot about trying to help you in your career, they should be able to provide you, hopefully, with some concrete feedback. And everyone's got weaknesses, Right. And I think that it's important to to hear that. Right. Because use that feedback, work on those weaknesses. Right. And allow use that to fuel you through your next journey. Yeah. And Evan, I think this this discussion was a bit prompted by me just with a recent discussion with a youth hockey family and kind of similar. There was a player who did not 
make festival and maybe made it the year before, mm-hmm. right? Or just that like, is a common thing. A lot of people. I did a story on this. A lot of people don't. They make it when they're 15 or they'll make it when they're 16, but they don't make it the next year because kids progress. I mean, it's the way it goes. To your point, right? Some late bloomers or, or whatever. But again, normal part of the process or this this particular person didn't maybe have the best experience at their varsity team. And the, the, I was just listening and this, this parent said like, oh, like they're just having a really hard time right now and thinking of just maybe backing out or quitting. And of course I respond and, and just offer to talk or, or help in any way. And I just said, like, listen, it's it can be tough sometimes, but this is also just a normal part of the process. And by no means should this player quit. No. Not at all. Like you gotta you gotta be able to sort of dust yourself off. And again, I just think it's just a reminder that it's failure is a little bit part of the process. It's and, a big part of the process. And don't let it deter you away from something that could be really wonderful, right? So if you kind of hit a maybe a dead end somewhere, go back and find another route to get to where you want to go. And I also think this, like, the majority of hockey players do not play college hockey. The majority, and even more majority, don't go to the NHL, don't play pro. And you'll hear any coach say this. You get a lot of life lessons from hockey. You do, it doesn't need to necessarily be for playing. It, it is if you if you are good enough to play college, those lessons do go towards playing in college. But if you're just on your high school team and like playing with your friends and this and that, the lessons you get from adversity, the lessons I got from playing at Framingham High School or playing youth hockey growing up, I still use. Like you you use it in life, and I think that's a huge part of it. Is like. You, you want to instill these values of, I'm going to fight through this. I'm mm-hmm. going to motivate. This is going to be motivation because guess what? It's going to come down when you're going for a job, when you're 36 or whatever, or later in life, whenever it is, those same values are going to be there. And those were fostered on the ice. Those were fostered with hockey. And I think it's it's overlooked sometimes. And people think, oh, I can just flip a switch and I won't be like that. Well, you got you got to practice what you're preaching there. And I think with it's really important. It's really important to kind of get those values going and use them in hockey because it's it's applicable to real life. Oh, it sure is, isn't it? Right? Oh and God, yeah. I think there's I think there's plenty of studies out there too that really show companies when when people hit the real world in in business, why companies love to also hire former athletes. Yeah, just for really I think some of the reasons that you're you're indicating. And uh, Evan, I recently just posted something on social media with basically on the lines of mental toughness with, with athletes and, and also accountability, I think on, on both ends. I think for, for athletes' perspective, you yourself have to hold yourself accountable to a certain degree. But I also think too, if you find a, a special coach or, or whatever that really emphasizes accountability, hold on to that. Yeah. Because I think it's just really molding you to be a successful young person well beyond sports someday as well. Yeah, I had a, it's funny. I had a coach, an assistant in high school, and I remember for a while if I made a mistake, it was something something else. It was someone else's fault. That was something else. Oh, the ice wasn't great. My stick was just... just <laughs> Which can happen sometimes. Can happen, but yeah. But maybe you know, not every time. Never blaming myself, never looking inward. And I remember one time he's like, Evan, when do you start making excuses? <laughs> and I remember it just hit. And, mm. and it was like a, a switch flipped. And I was like, he's right. Like, if I just took accountability, I, I would change. Like, I would, it would produce better results. Like, right. if I said, oh, I'm just not going to do this again. 
And I still use that in life. Like I have, I have no problem blaming myself for things. And it's, it came from that moment of him just being like, don't make those excuses. So again, it, it comes at different times and different people get different results from, from the sport, but a lot of adversity you can face in hockey. You have to call that coach someday and just thank him. For yeah, I really should. I, I, I lost touch with him, but I really should reach out and just call him out of the blue one day and be like, Hey, he really, he made a difference. Congratulations. Well, if you still remember it today, then that's, yeah, exactly. That's a I'll remember it forever. Yeah. Well, and I think just in, also again, just start with our, finally with our audience and the young players don't, don't be afraid of failing at something and if that was the case for you in this off season take some time that you need to just kind of get yourself together but play some xbox <laughs> go, get out there get yourself back up and go work hard work on those weaknesses you can do it and again it's just a, it's a bit of a normal part of the process i think people are ready to run through a brick wall after listening to us on this i hope so <laughs> that's that's our goal for sure i would hope and we'll definitely have more coverage on this and with the summer months it's it's tricky a lot of our our guests and coaches are on different schedules finally taking yes. a little bit of vacation time good for them they things, deserve it things like that but but Evan, i i know we'll definitely have a, a lot more coverage on this as we go on through the summer. absolutely we definitely will and pivoting now to one of our favorite parts of the show is our Overtime Live, and we are going to turn it over to our producer, David Yez. Overtime. Thank you, Steph. Producer David Yaz is ready to run through a brick wall after listening <laughs> yeah. to this podcast. You're but motivated. Si that well, was our goal. Since we're in the Siemens Media studio, I'm going to be running through a fake brick wall, the one <laughs> yeah, behind you. We do so, have a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, that works. Question: Three questions, as usual, for overtime. And uh, Stephanie and Evan are not prepared. These questions have been hermetically sealed. Not, in, not staged. No, no, definitely not staged. Like, questions have been sealed in an old hockey bag, so they smell terrible. <laughs> Ooh. Here we go. Question number one. What were your rules about playing when playing street hockey as a kid? There are rules, of course, in street hockey that you have to make up that don't wouldn't apply to ice hockey. So do you recall playing street hockey as a kid, and what kind of rules did you have? Evan, you go first. Okay. Well, there was always a place we played street hockey. My friend had a cul-de-sac. It was a great spot. And we even played it in college, actually. Obviously, if a car comes through, you stop playing. You stop the mm -hmm. clock. Uh, if the ball goes into, like, a yard, whoever's <laughs> closest to it gets it. But sometimes there would be races for it. So did that you, was... What, did you use a tennis ball? or We used a, like... He used to put them in the fridge or the freezer to make them harder. And I actually was a goalie. <laughs> I would play goalie in street hockey. Because yeah. I... I, I love doing it, but it would make it harder. So it was like a little street hockey ball. It wasn't mm. a tennis ball. Cool. But those are the main rules. I don't think we had any like huge ones. Stuff. <laughs> oh, it's a great question. Mm. Brings back a lot of really fun memories. So in our neighborhood, ton of street hockey. Yeah. And in the winter, it would be pond hockey because there was a, a playground that we would freeze over just down the street from us, but super fun. And, and honestly, Dave, we didn't have many rules back then, mm. which I think just made it just roll it out. That much more fun. So just a lot of just go out, have fun, play. But I think the one rule that I remember for when it came to goalies was like whoever's youngest sibling would usually get stuck in net. Really? Yeah. They'd, they'd throw it. <laughs> so yeah. that was always kind of fun. Yeah. So, but a lot of great memories. That was always so much fun. I'm reminded of the scene in the movie Wayne's World where <laughs> their rules seem to be when a car comes, you both have to announce car. And yeah. then the car goes by, you both announce game on. <laughs> All right, question number two concerns 
the Michigan goal. Now, I think you guys probably know. I don't need to tell you what a Michigan goal is, right? It's a recent, for some reason, a recently developed maneuver. Some people call it a high wrap that's scored by an attacker starting behind the net, lifting up the puck onto the stick, sort of lacrosse style, and then moving it around into the top corner of the net. My question for you guys is twofold. Why did it take so long for hockey players to figure out that they could do this, and will we see more of it? Steph? Well, great question. Yeah, because I think we're starting to see this goal more and more. It used to be sort yeah. of like maybe once a year, but now it's 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 sort of more common. But So I guess I would answer it, Dave, with we're seeing it more because I think the, the skill setting of players is more enhanced, right? So I think just the different skill work that they're working on, they, their hands are better, so their stick work is better. So therefore, it's also easier for players to do, and even at the younger ages. And I would say, yes, I think we'll see this goal a lot more. And it's also legal, right? So There was a question about whether it might be high-sticking, but it seems to be pretty consensus that it's not, right? I, I, correct, yeah. As I long mean, as it's under the post, right? Their you're stick fine. is under the crossbar. The uh, crossbar, you're fine. It's perfectly legal, so, and if it works, then why not? You're going to see it a ton more. And you mentioned, Stephanie, the skill level is much higher. The physicality level is much lower. If you did this, I think if you did this or someone tried to do this in like 2000 and Scott Stevens is in front of the net, like you're not, you're going to get killed. So I think nowadays it's more common because the physicality is lower. You know, the repercussions of doing this and going around like that, I think are so much lower. I know that and like with guys like Trevor Zegers in the NHL, it's only going to get more and more. Is the defensive response in the past, are you saying because, not because it's a showboat move, just because when you do that, you leave yourself exposed? Kind of, yeah. And I also think back in the day, I mean, just more physical. I think guys were on you more. Nowadays, you're more kind of concerned about taking away passing lanes, things like that. So you do leave the guy open behind the net. But yeah, I mean, I think there are going to be guys that for a guy like Trevor Zegers, like, hey, stay on him when he's behind the net, things like that. So I could see it. All right. Final question for overtime. I was going to make this trivia, but it would be too easy. There are three teams in the NHL whose names do not end in an S. You guys know them, right? So, And they're all relatively recent franchises. Can you name them? Actually, we might as well play. Uh, oh, boy. Is this I w- a joint question? Yeah, you can both. Just, I'll just say yell Avalanche or one. That's, that's right. Two uh, more. Lightning or two. That's right. And... <laughs> I'm trying I'm rolling through all the teams. The most recent entry. Oh, the Kraken. Right. So there you go. So <laughs> nicely done. So it is very impressive. <laughs> I'm surprised I got the first. I'm two. still thinking of yeah the, the first one. <laughs> so it is kind of a newfangled phenomenon. But Evan, you can take this question first. How do you feel about team names that don't end in an S? I like the creativity. Give mm-hmm. do something different. It's it works. I'm fine with it. I have like the Utah Jazz. Like mm-hmm. if it's if it's something that's indigenous to that part of the of the the country, heck yeah, do it. I hate to break the news to you. Jazz is not indigenous to Utah. The re- well, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I I was going not that, not that. Yes. They were they were the New Orleans Jazz, which is a perfect example of yes. the way it works. Stephanie, how do you feel about these Yeah, I, I guess I would agree. Like We've seen some of the same traditional, but still great, mm-hmm. names for a long time in sports, so why not change it up? I'm curious know? what happens Things with... Things have evolved, why not? Exactly. Like I'm curious, though, what happens, because the NHL, I think, is open to expansion. I know like Salt Lake, they're kind of kicking around. Didn't we um, say Oklahoma? Oklahoma would be <laughs> like the 35th NHL before. franchise. But, but I mean, they, they can hold a basketball team. 
But I mean, like the Arizona Coyotes might end up moving. That's like kind of still up in the air. So like, would they would they become like the Salt Lake City Coyotes or the Quebec Coyotes or would they just be a completely new like right. the Winnipeg like the Atlanta Thrashers? They wouldn't become the Winnipeg Thrashers. They went back to the Winnipeg Jets. That's so right. yep. curious what happens. The only problem with these names is when you say Patrice Bergeron is the quintessential Bruin, you can't say Ray Bork was a great member of. It was a great avalanche. You have to say he was a member <laughs> the of the... The way he came down say, that mountain was well, just incredible. No, but just, just by shorthand. I mean, even in baseball, the Red Sox have this problem. It's like, he, he once again is a Red Sox. No, no, no. You can't say that. I you know. have to say member of, right? Good point, yeah. So you can't say he's Bruin yeah. or he's... Anyway, nevertheless, you guys both successfully navigated overtime today. Ooh. And uh, on your way out, you can pick up your souvenir frozen street hockey ball that we have for you they're delicious you know what's funny the street, you mentioned street hockey david yep. our big thing was mini hockey growing up and oh. we one of my friends had a basement and would put up bean bags on the side yep. and we played full contact mini hockey you got to run over the goalie you could fight people it was so I, it's amazing that nobody actually got injured but with we were, sticks with with little mini sticks little yeah. mini sticks right little okay, mini yep, sticks yep. and we would we would nail i mean we would just run full speed into each other <laughs> and we'd tackle each other into the bean bags i mean it was full contact contact and no one ever got hurt somehow and it was so it would put dents on the walls <laughs> but it was credit to his parents for just like being chill with it because but that was that was more the way like the rules went out the window yep. many a basement has been destroyed yes by many hockey, hockey. oh sure. god yeah sure. it's always a good time per this usual. was great yeah and again we'll have a lot more discussion on these topics and evan incredible job as always with all the coverage well thank you i appreciate it stephanie and always great to talk and that does it for this edition of Rinkwise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Be sure to catch us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Any Hockey Journal. And subscribe with us online at hockeyjournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. Rinkwise is a Siemens Media production. Rinkwise.